my intentions with this were to get closure, leave with friends, and also talk about how we frame discussion of racism. Knowing that that was going to be my job anyway, I wanted to at least get it right. Hi, I'm Brittany, and this is For Colored Nerds, the weekly show where we peel back the layers of Black culture we rarely discuss in mixed company. This week, Eric and I return to the show that changed reality TV as we know it, the real world. Seven strangers living together in a big house in a whole new city and most importantly, getting real. This was peak TV in the 90s and early aughts, but it eventually lost its touch. But now the real world is back with a twist. The Real World Homecoming is a reunion series that brings all the old cast members back from their original season to live together under one roof once again. If you don't know anything else about Eric and me, you have to know that the original Real World New Orleans was foundational pop culture programming for the both of us. So when MTV released The Real World Homecoming New Orleans this spring, we were there every single week. Stay tuned as we reflect on the original series, our reactions to the reunion, and last but not least, our interview with the real world's best castmate ever, Melissa Beck. Y'all do not want to miss this. We got Melissa from New Orleans. Come right back and join us after this quick break. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Meet the next generation of podcast stars with Sirius XM's Listen Next program, presented by State Farm. As part of their mission to help voices be heard, State Farm teamed up with Sirius XM to uplift diverse and emerging creators. Tune in to Stars and Stars with Issa as host Issa Nakazawa dives into birth charts of her celeb guests. This is just the start of a new wave of podcasting. Visit statefarm.com to find out how we can help prepare for your future. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Many of our millennial and Gen X listeners will know how this story begins. Seven strangers picked to live in a house, work together, and And have their lives taken to find out what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real. Real world. (laughs) Or wherever the city is that comes after that, you know? It's true. It's true. Those are the words that you hear at the top of pretty much every single episode of MTV's genre birthing. I do not exaggerate when I say genre birthing reality show, The Real World. For those of you who don't remember or too young to remember. I know it's painful. Take one for that. (laughs) It's painful. But it's true. There are folks who don't. The Real World was one of the most groundbreaking TV shows of all time. That is not an exaggeration. Literally, it was the first reality TV series of its kind when it debuted. That whole just like put a bunch of people together in a house and see what happens. That thing started with this show. Without it, I feel confident saying there'd probably be no Big Brother, no surreal life, 
No I Love New York, no Bachelor, and probably, hell, no Real Housewives either. And do we want to live in a world without Real Housewives? I wouldn't. I wouldn't Would either. You? I would not. I absolutely would oh. not. So The, the real ghetto. World, <laughs> as Nini would say. As Nini would say. Yeah. The ghetto, exactly. Uh, so The Real World premiered in 1992. And the first season followed a group of young adults trying to make it in New York City. Each of them had like different disciplines, like some of them wanted to rap, some of them wanted to dance. And the show captured young audiences immediately. So like, I mean, it's kind of hard to describe now because things have changed so much. But like for a lot of young people living in the pre-internet, pre-smartphone days, which I'm sure sounds prehistoric to Gen Z (laughs) and Gen Alpha people. (laughs) But back then, the real world was like one of the only like somewhat realistic and honestly fairly diverse windows into what young adult life might be like. Like real world cast members, they they lived, they fought, they fought Mm -hmm. a lot, they partied and hooked up. And honestly, we all ate it up. I was like five. I was eating the show up. (laughs) I'm saying not as much fighting as how we think about it now. Like not like as much literal fighting, just like a lot of arguing. But yeah, Yeah, a lot of arguing, a lot of arguing. And and honestly, some of those arguments were some of the show's deeper moments. And and Mm -hmm. honestly, the show had a lot of really influential deeper moments. Like a lot of us learned about the AIDS epidemic through Pedro in the San Francisco season. Every time I tell somebody I am HIV positive, it gets as hard. It's as hard as, as the first time I did it. So I'm, I'm still concerned about, you know, meet five people, and I don't know how they're going to feel about me being HIV positive. We saw Ruthie from the Hawaii season struggle with addiction. We saw Karamo, who, like, now everybody knows Karamo um, from Queer Eye. <laughs> we saw Karamo on the Philly season share his experiences as an out Black gay man. And almost every season... There was some, yep. or, or multiple, honestly, uh-huh. <laughs> long, drawn-out discussion on race that usually left the white cast members feeling enlightened uh, while draining the cast members of color. Uh, hell, the audience, too. But in spite <laughs> of all of that, the show was a huge, huge deal. Like, I know, I watched most of it, literally. Yeah. At its height, the show reached upwards of 5 million viewers each week as a cable show. And over the years, it got racier and more scandalous, you know, as that type of reality (laughs) programming became more popular. Vegas, you know, we are looking at you, you know, things kind of changed forever after that. But those first 11 seasons were very, very special. Oh, man. Eric, what did you like about the real world growing up? How did you start watching it also? I'm pretty positive that my sister was watching real world and I likely watched an episode with her. Other than my sister, I didn't have a good window into like what adult life could be like or like, Mm -hmm. you know, what they were thinking about or talking about Mm -hmm. of any of that. And so to see what was happening in the real world house was always like it felt like I was on the pulse of like what I could expect um, when I was coming out. Now, did I always feel good about that? (laughs) <laughs> no, because like, as you mentioned, some of those conversations were draining, but it was always interesting and always fascinating every season. Even the ones that I wasn't a huge fan of, you just got, I didn't know where else you got to really just learn about people like that. How about you? I started watching it also because my older sister is six years older than I yeah. am. And um, that's like prime age for her to start watching the real world, probably mm. at an appropriate age. And like for me to have started like in the first grade. Yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, something that I that I don't think I really picked up on 
I think actually a lot about Pedro in, in the San Francisco season. I, I went back and looked up recently. Pedro was like 22 or 23 when he passed away of AIDS in the early 90s. They're all, they're all so young. Like, so young. Yeah. So young. And, and he was a Latino man who was HIV positive and living with AIDS. Um, he unfortunately passed away, I think, right after, right before yeah. the season finale of that year. And to have him in the house dealing with <laughs> racism, homophobia, people who were, specifically Puck, who was this white man who was just, I mean, putting it flatly, just an asshole in the house. Yeah. Just watching him deal with all this prejudice from people who just didn't want to understand anything about him. Yeah. I didn't know what HIV or AIDS was when I was in the first grade. I didn't learn about it in school until I was in fourth grade. But when I think back to watching that show, I actually think that like when I first learned about like HIV and AIDS when I was in school in the fourth grade and growing up, the show really taught me not to have any prejudice about that. Like the show introduced me to the idea. And as a result, that's actually a pretty big thing that like reality television could do <laughs> that reality television doesn't quite do anymore. I don't yeah. think. Also like the show speaks to how different reality TV was back then. Yes. Like the original show, when we discussed this as we were preparing for this episode, like we we agreed it had this like spirit of altruism. Yeah. Despite them like getting things wrong sometimes, like the central purpose of the show was really cultural exchange mm -hmm. among really regular young people. Like y'all understand, they wouldn't they didn't have social media. They would just go to colleges and talk to people who seemed interesting and then pick those kids like that was how they casted for the show back then they weren't going on like instagram and even that they were casting them to come and just talk to each other like yeah. that, that's that's the whole like the whole thing is what the conversations could be you know they weren't allowed to have cell phones for the most part i think maybe they could check their email and they could have like a house yeah. phone but they were like they, they weren't allowed to have tv they were forced to like actually spend time together. Like actually, um, I forgot this until I was researching for this episode. The real world was actually like based on this 1973 PBS documentary called An American Family. It was just like cinema verite, like this documentary crew just followed and like kind of embedded themselves in the home of this middle-class, middle-American, white, nuclear family. It was like one of the first depictions, I guess, on American television of like the, 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 that there could be drama in everyday life. And the real world kind of like took that and ran with it. Yeah, in such a great way. And it wound down in 2019 and very mm -hmm. much kind of with a, a whimper. But in 2021, MTV began producing Real World Homecoming, which is a reunion series where they get the original cast of uh, Real World Seasons back together under one roof. And whew, this has been... <laughs> As somebody who like who cared about real world, this has been a big deal. And I've I've watched each one and the first one is really, really good too. Mm -hmm. Like, oh my God. So they've done three uh, since 2021. You know, New York, the original, which is the original real world mm -hmm. season, Los Angeles, and most recently New Orleans. Mm. So to come back to New Orleans, like the original New Orleans season was juicy. Like, oh my God, there's so much kind of going on. You had themes of race, prejudice, religious conservatism, uh, sexuality, and also like really, really, really got deep into Don't Ask, Don't Tell, which was this Clinton-era cop-out military policy that required LGBTQ plus people serving in the military to either stay closeted or risk getting dishonorably discharged. And like all this, literally all that, 
was covered in the original season. Yeah. And 22 years have passed. So, like, there was kind of no question that the reunion was going to be good. And actually, I want to go back to that don't ask, don't tell portion of the original show. Like, it should be said, like, you didn't get a lot of opportunities to truly see how that was affecting people, I feel like, Mm -hmm. in pop culture. Mm -hmm. I remember that being such a huge kind of part of this story that was, like, fascinating because it was a thing that many people tried to ignore. And, Mm -hmm. like, you know, shows like Real World showed that because it's a part of people's life. You couldn't ignore it. So... Coming back to the homecoming season, it has been actually, to date, the only homecoming reunion season to include all cast members. Mm. And it also has easily been the best real-world homecoming season by far. Agreed. We got to see Jamie, Matt, Melissa, Danny, Kelly, Julie, and David, who now goes by Tokyo, Mm -hmm. living together in New Orleans all up in each other's business and underneath each other (laughs) after 22 years. And like, if for no other reason you are curious about this, (laughs) then you should be curious because you know they have to revisit what is honestly the greatest reality TV song ever created. I feel Mm. comfortable saying that. Mm -hmm. Come on, be my baby tonight. Come on, be my baby tonight. Mm. Come on, be my baby tonight. I've seen the way you treat. Oh man, that song is so good. Honestly, me and my husband have <laughs> we always call that Dabudi. Dabudi, Dabuda. Like exactly. It's few. There's few songs people know all the lyrics and all the ad libs. Hello, and the ad libs are essential. Oh my god. I mean, aside from the fact that they do in this homecoming season. They do come back and give a moment, give some, sh- show some love yes. to come on Be My Baby Tonight. What did you enjoy about the original season and how are you liking the reunion? It was in 2000. So this is around the time I'm kind of coming into like my teenage years. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm starting to get not a real idea of what adulthood, early adulthood is like, but I'm, if nothing else, I'm more curious than ever. And the thing that I remember is like David being so strange but weird but i also thought they was kind of cool i mean i think i was like 14 so you know it's fine but uh at least at that point and honestly melissa was like that cool kind of quirky kind of like nerdy girl you'd be offended yeah. no, you can't use the n-word period right because you're like you're, white. But you're canceled out because when you start doing it automatically you're no longer just a white girl you are now oppressor and people get in attack mode then Lord knows he had Julie, who is, uh, there's always in the house, usually somebody who is sheltered. Yes. And Julie came into the house and took that mantle really quickly. She grew up very kind of sheltered in the Mormon church and started, I guess you would say, breaking out of kind of her shell, like in the real world. <laughs> Before I came here, I just did not think that there would ever be any connection between me and a, a gay person. But meaning Danny, I just totally realized that's ridiculous. I guess I'm not really cool with the way you, like, are choosing to live your life. All of those things I was ready to honestly get back to because most of them I feel like have actually stayed out of the public eye, I guess you would say. Mm -hmm. And so I was just curious where everybody was at, literally. Like, how everybody was doing, what was going on. And, man, I would say the reunion delivers that but so much more (laughs) so much more yeah i i I agree like i loved the first original new orleans season it was so so good it was just a good mix i mean even i think back to someone like 
Julie, who we'll come back to for sure. Julie as this young blonde white woman straight out of Mormon college, like really new to the world. Like I thought that it was interesting to see how she became more open through the experience to being exposed to new things. Like that would be considered a very small, I think, reality character arc on a reality show of today. But back then it was like one of the big things of the season. But yeah, I mean, you talk about Danny and Paul, like Danny, this like young gay white man from the South with his boyfriend who was like in the military at the time, Paul, who had his face blurred out for his safety. You know what I'm saying? For his anonymity. Those are big moments. And of course I connected to Melissa. Melissa was like the wisecracking, super smart, kind of quirky, half black, half Filipino, like mixed girl from, from Florida who was on the show, Melissa kept it real. And also Kelly, shout out Kelly. Kelly was like one of the only white women I've ever seen be on TV and mind her business. Almost too much. It's to the point she commented on it when she came back. She came into the house, immediately found a good looking 28 year old doctor boyfriend. And she didn't talk to nobody. Bye. She was (laughs) like, this has been great. But But, uh, I'm about to go get booed up. (laughs) But yeah, I was looking forward to this homecoming specifically because like, Julie, like the Mormon church has some racist aspects to it. And Julie was still able to become close friends with Melissa, but she didn't accept Danny being gay. Jamie was kind of like this affable white guy who kind of got along with everybody, but he had serious issues understanding what Melissa was saying about race. There were so many sort of like interconnected issues that people had with each other that got talked about. I was curious to see how much people had changed, like in the 20 plus years since, but also like these people had not really kept in contact. And I'll tell you what, I was not let down. I feel like if anything, this was one of the most like surprisingly like fun reality TV experiences I've had in a while, just like from top to bottom. I would say even to the production, the like cut scenes, like you could tell they were just like having fun. So it's just a, a lot like happier than I thought I, I expected it to be. And I think that some of the happiness comes from the like, openness that nearly everybody comes back to the show with like yes everybody came back to like really catch up they were like motherfucker how are you doing like how is it going like where have you been <laughs> and having these people who you have you know a, like a baseline of like mm-hmm. where they started seeing them do that in this context was fascinating i don't know how are you experiencing kind of like what was popping back up in the reunion I mean, the thing that I was excited about was you knew they were going to revisit certain things, like serious conversations about race, about sexuality, about religion. Honestly, Julie uh, wasn't the only deeply religious cast member of that season. Mm -hmm. There was also a guy, Matt, who was deeply Catholic, didn't drink, Mm -hmm. didn't have sex, didn't, you know, believed in, in in all of that stuff. I was curious to see how he would come into a house in 2022 yeah. With somebody who had been living as a grown out gay man for decades, yeah. like Danny. And the show honestly was pretty pointed in in yeah. making those conversations happen. Uh, one thing I was nervous about, though, was, was the production going to fumble it like they did sometimes in, in the original? Uh, I would yeah. say like the discussions about race were probably the most disappointing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes Melissa, I think, was almost like it felt like by production willfully misunderstood or edited poorly, she would call out, rightfully call out racism, rightfully call out anti-Blackness among other cast members. I think back to one instance in particular where 
they were like on a swamp tour. Mm-hmm. Um, and the person who was, you know, guiding the swamp tour used racial epithet. And, you know, one of the other cast members didn't think it was a big deal. You know, just stuff like that. It always made Melissa seem like she was angry. And yeah. I was curious to see how they would come back to that. And also, too, I mean, you know, I really was like, am I going to see Paul? <laughs> you know, are we going to see Paul's face? That was one of the biggest questions that I had. And and we did. That was one of the, the pieces of watching the show that really affected me the most, was seeing Danny talk to his now ex-boyfriend, Paul, without Paul's face being blurred out because yeah. now he's allowed to be like an out gay man, you know, who served in the military. And and hearing especially Danny talk about how much like him not really understanding that 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 time, that period of time of don't ask, don't tell. As somebody who did not serve in the military, as just somebody yeah. who loved somebody who was a gay person serving in the military, that gave him PTSD. You know? Yeah. I mean, I can imagine watching the original series and you get to see a little bit. They do a lot of kind of like cuts to the OG, but you know, you're the person you're with kind of always has to have their face blurred out when they're on camera. Mm-hmm. I imagine that also makes a relationship really challenging because now you're developing local celebrity in the city where you are. Right. So like people could potentially recognize you. So there's just so much potential danger. Mm-hmm. And I could also see where you might experience a lot more of that trauma because in theory, that person is going through that danger for you. You, you. know, they're doing mm-hmm. that to be uh, in a relationship with you. And so, yeah, I can absolutely see how that would really mess you up. And, you know, you can definitely tell through the show that Danny's kind of had a kind of a long road to, to getting to be okay. But the other kind of piece of that was like, everybody kind of comes into the house with this degree of confidence that I think only can really come with age. Agreed. Now, we discussed how the original season kind of flubbed discussions of race. One of the things I found to be really interesting about the reunion season is not only did they revisit the original conversations about race, something that I wasn't anticipating in this year of our Lord 2022, (laughs) was that there would be a couple really intense racial issues that were newly had (laughs) on the homecoming season. So like... I was anticipating that they would want to have Melissa go back and discuss certain things. But there was one time in particular, uh, though, that cast member Julie, now ex-Mormon, behaved really strangely toward Tokyo. And one of those times was like, I think she was, I I got the sense that, I don't know if she was trying to like come on to him or something weird like that. There was a little bit of that, which made me feel definitely unsettled. But then additionally, there was one point where she like gets super drunk one night because she recently left the Mormon church. So she just started drinking in the past like five, 10 years, yada, yeah. yada. She ends up like face planting on the sidewalk and she scratches her shoulder coming down. And she doesn't remember this happening. So she implies to the other cast yeah. members that David did that to her. When actuality, David was like one of the main people who was trying to make sure she wasn't going to hurt herself, that yeah. she was going to leave the club without harming herself or somebody else or making a fool of herself. It was interesting to see in those moments when the show was kind of presented with like a new racial tension, (laughs) where you have Julie on one side saying, you did this to me. Very, very directly using her white womanhood to kind of create a situation wherein she's the victim. And then you have Melissa and Tokyo on the other side, like, no, you're not going to sit here and lie on this black man and act like he did something to harm you as a white woman. It was interesting to see the show, how they handled a new racial conflict, which was a lot better than how they handled it before. I feel like Melissa and and Tokyo were heard out. And as the viewer, I got the impression that I was supposed to understand that Julie was being 
ridiculous, but it was it was interesting to see Julie kind of try to uh, drum up drama on this season of reality television using like outdated white womanhood tricks. It was very strange. So this was actually the thing. It added to the drama of the reunion, but in this like really kind of weird and unsettling way. Mm-hmm. So the thing that like, is important to be reminded of frequently because, you know, we often experience like real world as like youthful uh, people is that everybody in the house at this point is at least probably like 40, you know? Mm-hmm. And Julie really comes into the house with this pretty stated goal to basically like be the person, be the heel of the house, be the person like drumming up stuff to make this show interesting. And so you have this like scenario where it feels very clearly like she is kind of reflecting this like new approach to reality TV. Yes. One that's more sensational, just more like random and chaotic. Yes. Um, where everybody else is actually trying to kind of reflect the old spirit of real world, which is just about like, conversation and issues and like life and people and so they run into each other head first and oh my god watching julie kind of just like flail about yes was so uncomfortable it was really like watching the worst episodes of like craziest girlfriend or like (laughs) you know some episodes of like i love that for you or just like any of those like cringe inducing person is making all the wrong decision shows but like not humorous it just makes you sad because you think back like wait you're married you have kids yes and why you know why is it important to you to act like this in this context yeah it was so weird it felt to me as a viewer that she didn't have good command of like her white womanness and how to throw it around to get the desired result do you know what i mean like yes. maybe 22 years ago it would have flown to blame your injury on the black man in the house mm-hmm. if you're feeling embarrassed because you got too drunk and you're also feeling embarrassed because nobody else drinks as much as you because you just started drinking at like 27 years old when you left the mormon church like it, maybe that would have flown two decades ago to pass that embarrassment and that shame onto a black man in the house. But audiences and also the other cast members are too evolved past that point. Mm -hmm. Even if the other cast members hadn't said anything, or even if like, let's say, you know, whatever, like there, that, that, edit wouldn't have turned out that way. The audience is now evolved enough. The average (laughs) lowest common denominator audience member random white person is probably going to be able to figure out, girl, you can't blame that on that black man. (laughs) But it was interesting. I was grateful that the show seemed to make it clear, like, look, uh, we don't know what she's doing either. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) They were like, look, I, we just, we're going to show you what happened and you decide. And like, but it's very clear, like, oh, she was really bugging. Like, we haven't spoiled everything, but like, There's a lot of odd behavior from Julie. You can't say that enough because it just stands out. I was expecting the show to communicate more evolved views on race and sexuality. And even like, you know, Julie's journey of sexual discovery that she's had since she's left the Mormon church. I was expecting the show to treat those issues with more delicacy and and responsibility. But it almost felt like that was one one of the biggest surprises to me of the season was not just Julie's strange, strange behavior, (laughs) but also how the show seemed to acknowledge how strange her behavior was. It almost felt like a fundamental reversal of like the previous real world point of view. You know what I mean? I I thought it was a pretty 
provocative that the show actually did a complete, like production did a complete reversal, putting Julie sort of like, she's the weirdo. She's the odd one out. She's the person who's making it weird. I was so thankful for that, though, because it really felt like with this series, I would say even more than the other two real world homecoming series is they kind of knew what they had. Mm. Like it felt Mm. like they really understood that like, Oh no, these are people who you can like I'm getting a lot of value from watching them just talk. And it felt like honestly a reinvigoration of even just this format. Real world had got kind of tired and they like casted it off. Yeah. But watching people actually just talk, not you know, the debate that people ask back for on Twitter, but just <sighs> talk and try to have empathy for each other, run into where the that the limits of that empathy can exist mm-hmm. and then have to figure out how you feel after. Yeah. It happens in a mostly very respectful and like uh careful way that I was like, oh shit, I kind of want more of this. I think there's so much we forgot that there could be opportunity in people doing less. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's and that part is nuts. I feel like now we've given you all like I think a pretty fair idea of what happened this past season on Real World Homecoming New Orleans. But um honestly, I still got a few more questions. I think it would be best if we actually had someone from the cast to ask some questions and just get their vibe about the show. What do you think, Brittany? I think so. Are you thinking possibly real world New Orleans cast member Melissa Beck? I absolutely am. You might have seen her this season at at Real World Homecoming, kind of living her alter ego, which is Rich Auntie. But she was amazing on this season and just so much fun. And like, Again, me as like my my older self is is still just kind of like rooting for her and being like, damn, let's talk. <laughs> so after the break, more from Brittany and I and Melissa Beck from Real World New Orleans Homecoming. Get ready. Imagine bold, naturally aged Tillamook cheddar slices melting over a burger, eating handfuls of thick-cut cheddar shreds straight from the bag, taking a bite out of an irresistibly bold block of extra-sharp cheddar cheese. (sighs) We know you want to get back to streaming, but wasn't it nice to daydream about cheese for a bit? Tillamook cheddar. Extraordinary dairy. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. 
Meet the next generation of podcast stars with SiriusXM's Listen Next program, presented by State Farm. As part of their mission to help voices be heard, State Farm teamed up with SiriusXM to uplift diverse and emerging creators. Tune in to Stars and Stars with Isa as host Isa Nakazawa dives into birth charts of her celeb guests. This is just the start of a new wave of podcasting. Visit statefarm.com to find out how we can help prepare for your future. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Melissa, welcome to For Colored Nerds. We're so excited to have Welcome. You here. Oh thank my God. Thank you so much. Brittany and Eric, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Honored. Honored. Thank no you. need. You're telling us. We uh, we both were huge fans of the because there were two real world New Orleans the original real world New Orleans from two thousand. Um, we were in middle school I think when it came out and we watched it like all the time. Yeah, we were huge fans of you on the original show and we have loved watching the New Orleans Homecoming. We have been glued to the television oh every week <laughs> watching the saga unfold. So we are so excited to get into it with you today. Before you went on Homecoming, how did you reflect on your experience on the original Real World? The decision to come back and do Homecoming was obviously informed by all of the time that I had spent underground after having done that show. I mm-hmm. think I, I gave it a good run. You know, after you get on a reality show, especially around that time, it was, you know, the year 2000, there wasn't TikTok, there wasn't yeah. Instagram, there wasn't mm-hmm. Twitter, YouTube even wasn't really a thing. So there weren't ways for you as a reality person to go and take this experience and then like parlay. That wasn't a real thing yet. So you had to physically move to LA and like try to make it happen where being a reality star wasn't yet a recognizable, actual viable career option. So you had to like figure out how can I monetize my personhood that was not yet a thing. So I did that for three or four years. I went out there. I was in the grind. I was going on all kinds of auditions with real celebrities. Like, so I started to understand like where I fit into that, but also I I don't have any actual acting skills. So what, how are we going to parlay if I don't have the thing, except I'm really me. So I did that for a little while and it just was like, I don't know if I want to do this. So I, you know, moved on with my life and got married, had kids and did that thing and kind of started to really enjoy the quiet. So when homecoming came calling, it was really kind of just taking an inventory of, do I want to step back into that? Hmm. And if I do step back into that, how can I make it work for me this time and maintain my mental health? Because I worked really hard, Hmm. really hard to like get okay after that. Not that it was a bad experience. It was a great experience, Mm -hmm. but it was also in a lot of ways, illuminating, traumatizing, Mm -hmm. exciting. It was a lot for a young person. Can you say more about like what specifically made you want to come back? Like, I understand you wanted to do it on your own terms, but like what got you to yes? Did you feel like there was maybe unfinished business? Ooh, not, oh, not the hot button unfinished business. Not that kind. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, no, you know what made me say yes? In the initial phone calls where they gauge your interest in coming back to the show, they did have a lot of language around wanting to reflect on real world as a pop cultural vehicle, as mm-hmm. kind of like a moment 
in time that matters and that has actually shaped the landscape of reality TV and what its original Mm -hmm. intentions were, not what it's become, but what its original intentions were. So there were conversations around making nostalgic television, feel-good television, legacy television, really, if you think about it. I mean, that sounds highfalutin and crazy on my part to say it out loud, but when you say things like that to me, this could be culturally important and relevant. I was like, okay, that conversation I'm interested in. But then also the executive producer of the show this time around was a gay black man. And Mm -hmm. for me, a lot of the initial reservations I had about going back were like, who is in the control room? Who is in the edit bay? Who are your writers? Who are your producers? And do any of them look like me? Because... Mm. We're not doing that again. Not that the first time around was necessarily bad, but there were some blind spots about how hard conversations about race were Mm -hmm. reflected back to the world. And I had a hard time around that. It was one of those things where I was a very young person. Some of the language might not have been there, but I knew what I was trying to say and I understood Mm -hmm. what I was trying to say. But at the same time, it was kind of framed within this space where it had to be in the service of the doe-eyed white character. And so when they approached me again, I was like, I really don't want to do that again. Yeah, That's a lot of emotional labor. So how can we ensure Mm -hmm. that if the story has to be told, because, you know, I'm not, I'm not daft. I know that, you know, exactly the things that they're going to want to revisit when you ask to come to a homecoming, we're going to revisit the the swamp tour. We're going to revisit. Don't ask, don't tell. Like there were a lot of things that I understood, but I also Mm -hmm. was like, I need to feel safe to have these conversations. Like, how are you going to record it back? So they were cool about it. To that end, like something that was actually kind of shocking to me, was that you and Danny seemed a bit disappointed with kind of like the consciousness and, and advocacy that you all displayed on the original kind of run of the show. Even though frankly, like for me as a 14-year-old kid, that was huge. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I watched Real World to get an idea of what early adulthood could be like. And, you know, it was everything to kind of hear you talk about race and talk about privilege or just be offended. Like something happened and be able to like voice that. I'm curious, like, what about what you said or how you presented like kind of gave rose to that insecurity? And how do you kind of reflect on that now that you've done the whole thing again? Yeah. And and that that's what makes this like conversation such that it requires time. And when I say time, I mean many years to unravel mm. it. Because mm. when you become a reality star and you become the face of something, you have to then mm-hmm. compartmentalize who you are as a person. So I am mm. this front facing person that represents a thing. But then I'm in this, I'm I'm also a private inside person that is reading hate mail and being called race hater. Mm. And, you know, the world was not ready to hear Mm. a person who presents like me, because remember, they didn't bring my parents onto the show. So it was kind of like, who is this girl that's so upset about anti-Black racism? She's not even Black. So there was that piece. Wait, people would write in just assuming that you weren't Black? Did they not pay attention? Or even listen to the show. (laughs) Right. Listen to anything that you said. Yes. Listen, I, I think part of why... I took it so hard because think about it for me. I, I was this, you know, ambiguously presenting biracial girl from a small town in, in Southern Florida, deep South. 
I have mm-hmm. a very black father and a very Filipino mother. And all of that informed my personhood. Yeah. And I thought mm-hmm. all of that was very normal and, and well-received until it was reflected back on me on TV. And then people could receive it how they wanted. So mm-hmm. I was like, whoa, this is a lot. So it wasn't that I was regretful about what I said. You know, I definitely stand by what mm-hmm. I said. And the things Danny was talking about, all of those things were super important. I think where the disconnect came was how people received it. And mm-hmm. on top of how young we were, on top of mm-hmm. being super famous, and then that kind of like having no mental health access and also trying to talk about what these feelings were when there wasn't a framework for it yet. So you're a person that's on a reality TV show and you're upset that you're getting a lot of attention. What do you mean? You went on the reality yeah. TV show. So it was like that. But, you know, at the same time, I would like to top load this with a total appreciation and respect for the documentary style work that real world was intended to do. Yeah. I think that those, right. impor- those, those important conversations, you know, you as a 14 year old kid would not have been able to see on other yeah. networks. So at the time MTV was really giving us something. I'm glad you bring that up as we've been preparing to talk to you. A conversation we've been having a lot on the team is about like old school reality TV versus sort of what reality TV is now. Even the other night I was mm-hmm. at a dinner and I was talking to somebody who's a little younger than I am. And me and somebody else who's around my age were actually talking about your season. We were like, oh, you have to watch it. And she's like, I don't know if I can start watching, you know, the real world. She's like, I'm already watching Real Housewives. And we were like, no. this is <laughs> two completely different things. Like, you can't put those in the same sentence. They don't mean the same thing. And it almost feels like, you know, to your point, that documentary style of the original real world, that's old school reality TV. And you're a vet of old school reality TV and and back when there was this element of like cultural exchange that seemed essential to the process. But so many things have since changed. Obviously reality TV is completely different. You're an old school reality vet who's reentering the reality TV space after the entire landscape has changed so much. Also like what audiences have grown to expect has changed so much. Like, what were your concerns around that? Like being a part of this like new guard of reality TV as a pretty private person? Um, big, big concerns, big concerns. Um, <laughs> <laughs> beautiful gowns, beautiful gowns. Yeah, yeah I was, uh, <laughs> I was nervous. And I'll tell you why I was nervous. While it may appear as though I um, went completely underground and was unfindable, I am a person that is also a very online person. So even though I was not front facing, I was always still in the background lurking, you know what I mean? Just absorbing Mm -hmm. media while way we take it in has changed. So Twitter, I've been on Twitter for 13 years. I I absolutely love it when it's beautiful, but I also understand Mm -hmm. very clearly how dangerous it is And if you don't set boundaries around how you use it and how you choose to um, engage with it, it could be Mm -hmm. a disaster. You don't want to be the star of Twitter, not one day ever. Mm -mm. Um, Not for an hour. (laughs) (laughs) You have a bad time in an hour. Oh, my God. Correct. I mean, you know, and and I'm also a firm believer. Don't do a tweet and delete because somebody got it. Um, Say it right the first time. Um, (laughs) So... (laughs) I was very nervous just around that piece because before, back in the day, if you wanted to really get at me, you had to snail mail me. And that traumatized me. 
So I was like, wow, this is a new landscape where anybody can have access to you. And as a private person, that's very scary. You know, I've been living behind a lock online, you know, curating a very safe online space for myself. And this was going to impede that, you know, like this is the first time I've ever tweeted out in the open and with a blue check. I pff, hands be shaking. Uh, <laughs> but I wonder though, but even like, like, did you have concerns about how now reality television is so much about like storylines and like who's the villain and yeah. like fighting. Yep. I can't even call it cat fighting anymore because everybody be fighting yeah. now. Were you hesitant about entering into like a new style of reality programming that was going to be maybe less documentary style? In the conversations that I had with them, all of it was about we want to juxtapose 2000 with 2022. Where are you now? Yeah. How did fame mm-hmm. affect you? What's your life like today? How will it feel to reconnect with these people that you haven't seen in so long? And I think I felt very secure and comfortable in that, but I also, you know, I'm grown and I can say and do what I want to do. And I only got to put my body where I want my body to be. So I wasn't really concerned about the gross part of reality TV because I also, Mm -hmm. listen, I'm the breaker of fourth walls. You can call me Khaleesi. I'm, um, <laughs> it's like, uh-uh, y'all are seeing that? Did y'all see that? Because that's not what yeah, I signed up for. <laughs> and I just had to hope that they knew where I stood with stuff. That There are different levels to this. I think there's the level of you agree to go into it. And if you agree to go into it, you got to go in, show up as your authentic mm. self. And also it's a job. So you are paying me to come here and interact with these strangers. I'm going to do that. Mm. But then there's also you go home, you sit with it. And now you're sitting in the anxiety that you had as a 22 year old kid where you're like, oh, my gosh, I just gave control of my narrative away again. I thought I learned this lesson the first time. So I think when you go in a second time, you just have to be really about your business and say what you mean. And every word has to be intentional. which feels like, you know, maybe that's making me come off like I'm not a fun person. I really did try to have fun in the experience, but I also did spend a lot of thoughtful time in the quarantine before going into the house about what my intentions were with this. And my intentions with this were to get closure, leave with friends, and also talk about how we frame discussion of racism. Knowing that that was going to be my job anyway, I wanted to at least get it right. And to that, and for what it's worth, I, you came off as, as fun in the house. <laughs> and all of you kind of avoided this kind of public spotlight to a degree, or at least kind of faded out of it over time. What were you expecting the dynamics of the house to to be like to that end? Like, there wasn't really a, it didn't seem like you all were that in touch. Yeah, we really weren't. When I tell you, we left that house and I did not see or hear or talk to David, now Tokyo, in 22 years. That was real. We actually hadn't been in touch with each other. And I want to say just literally right before that we started getting calls from the production company about the possibility of being just in the running to be the next Mm -hmm. season. He DM'd me on Instagram and I was just like, what? We started 
you know, you do the dance, you do the thing when you haven't talked <laughs> yeah. to somebody in a long time, you're like, Oh, Hey, how are you? Yeah. How are you? And then you follow them back and they follow you. And then you tap the little heart to make sure that they know that, you know, you're still thinking about them, but we didn't exchange <laughs> phone numbers yeah. yet. It was just like, Oh yeah. How are things? But we hadn't gotten to a deep dive of like, where have you been? How is it going? Yeah. Cause you know, we don't know each other like that. We do kind yeah. of, but not really. So then right after he had done that, they contacted me saying that they were reaching out to everybody. And they asked me, do you know where David is? I was like, funny you say that. He's not David anymore. <laughs> and I'll see if maybe I can get his phone number. So that's how that happened, which is really serendipitous wow. and crazy. Yeah. But other than that, we really had not kept in touch. To talk a little bit more about, you know, the dynamic between you and Tokyo, like in your original time in the house, you all kind of struggled to connect. And that's something that really came into focus as they were showing throwback clips in, in, in this time. And we saw a younger you, you know, seeming disappointed and you actually expressing disappointment about that, about you guys not being able to connect as like two black people in the house together. Like, did you have any preconceived ideas before coming into the house originally about what your relationship with any other black castmates might be like? I didn't have preconceived ideas about it, but I did know like, oh, good, I'm going to have at least my person, you know? Yeah. And then when yeah. it didn't yeah. work out that way, I was like, oh, dang, I don't got a person. Yeah, and that's real. <laughs> that's a lonely place. <laughs> that, is very, that is very real. I mean, that's happened at many workplaces yeah. across the country. Yeah, and if you think about it, you know, you're, I'm living in a house and I'm getting paid to live there. That was a work environment. I was like, damn, mm -hmm. so I'm going to just be over here then. I will say that when I, inside of the house, as it was happening, when he and I weren't connecting, and then, after the fact, mm -hmm. and we just never connected again. I'll be honest, I have always carried a sadness about that. Mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. while we were there, couldn't figure it out. I, yeah. I was kind of self-obsessed and really thought it was specifically about me. I wasn't able to see that, oh, wow, this is an introvert. And he's yeah. feeling the same things I'm feeling. He's feeling otherness. Why are you not seeing that? I didn't see that. So when they showed the old clip, of us having this confrontation with him and I'm the kind of ringleader of it. Oh, how dreadful. <laughs> I felt really bad like watching it back because I hadn't watched the show since. I went into the real world homecoming experience just, you know, raw dog in it. I didn't revisit any of the Oh, you episodes. hadn't watched the show since at all? No, I wow. watched the show when it came out in year 2000 and then never Whoa. looked back. Congrats to you. So this was like, <laughs> yeah, cheers to you. That's like a real, real refresher. You say you always carried a sadness about that, but um, it seemed like in Homecoming, at least from our position as a viewer, it seemed like you and Tokyo were able to start over in yes. a way. What was it like to have that relationship turn a corner? You know what it was? And and it, and there, there are a lot of pieces to it. So it's A, I'm understanding now that he's an introvert, you know? Mm. B, as 40 plus year old people who have also watched the reality television landscape change in real time, I also know that I need to be careful about what I say about anybody here in this house, mm. because anything you say about anybody in this house could become a piece that pushes whatever narrative forward that they did not intend. So right. I said to him before we went in there, and this was about everything, I said, you know, obviously we're going to have to revisit some old and hard stuff, but I want to be careful around that with you. If there's anything you don't want me to talk about or don't want me to say or don't want me to ask you about, I'm not going to do that. And I think you saw that on the season finale where I was just yeah. like, we don't really know much about you. 
and mm-hmm. I'm trying and I really want to get to know you. And also it was one of those things where I'm talking to him, like, forget these cameras. I'm talking about after this yeah. because it was hard the first time it's hard now. Like I'm your friend. We're going to vibe. And I, I really did not want to let that opportunity go again because this is a thing where it's a real niche situation. Very few people are going to understand this dynamic or this position. Yeah. So you're all, you know, these six people, y'all are all I got. We got to get through this yeah. and we got to get through this right. Reconnecting with him also when he said to me, I pushed you away like that in a, just the validation of it mm. felt better yeah. because like it wasn't for a personal reason. Like I just don't like you, Melissa. It was that I was in a weird space and I didn't know myself then. And how was I supposed to get to know you? Um, mm. So I'm, I'm so happy with how that turned out. And also I have always just for the people and for the culture, like really you better come on this show because if we don't revisit, come on, be my baby. Tonight, it would have like, uh, why even do it? Why even do it? Why even do oh it? Oh my God. Come on. Icon. Yes. Come on. Icon in the flesh. Yes. I mean, me and my husband talk about this all the time. He was able to create a viral moment. And you all mentioned this on the show. Viral moment with no virality, like no internet. There was no Twitter. It's like, if you show a clip of David singing, Dabudi, come on, be my baby tonight. If you just show, I mean, you don't have to play the music. You just see a, a screenshot. Everybody knows what that and means. And knows the melody. That's talent. And knows like yes. how to, like all the words is there. I want to come back to kind of something you were saying just about like getting older and kind of leaving space. One of the things I, I also just thought was really particularly beautiful about this version of Homecoming is almost all of you seem to come in with that vibe, that like idea mm-hmm. of just like, I'm ready to receive everybody a bit of where they're at. And to the old new reality TV, that was so refreshing. Like, because (laughs) usually people are like, yeah, they're trying to play a character. They want somebody else to play a character so they can play off of them. And so it's just so nice to see people like ready to allow others to be who they are and that being okay and valid. But I want to pivot to one person who I kind of leave out. Like, we would be remiss to have you here and to not also ask you about Julie. Okay, so from the moment that she arrived, one could describe her behavior as erratic. I think that's fair. Leading to you and Kelly overhearing a conversation with her husband where she intimated that, you know, she was kind of acting out to make the show more interesting. Did he do that to me? Who? Well, I mean, Tokyo took really good care of me, but at a certain point, he grabbed me really hard. Get away from me. Get away from me. I don't like to be touched. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I cannot believe you are not leading with gratitude for this person who all night helped take care of you. And you're gonna come in here and say that he caused those bruises when in reality, did you forget that you face planted into the concrete? We're here. So, you know, we constantly hear about other shows, people coming in to play a character, but it's rarely kind of the quiet part out loud. I'm curious, like, how does hearing that affect your experience in the house it took the show and the experience in another direction because Mm -hmm. then it was like hold on a second now we're living in the super meta so now it's okay Mm. incoming message sit down have this conversation we all know we're being filmed to what are the candid conversations really going to look like Mm. if i know that there's a person in the stew 
who is doing stuff. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was yeah. now I can't interact with any of that because it'll be in the service of that fake thing. And that's not what I signed up for. Yeah. Um, mm. And I think that too, when Kelly overheard it too, and I think her response to me was, I don't, it's, I don't care if we make boring television, so be it if it's boring. Yeah. I think that mm-hmm. that was the, that would have been the beauty of real world homecoming. Yeah. I think that there is a space for grown folks doing grown things. I don't think that you need to be 22 with rock hard abs and, you know, living on an Island to cheat in front of your spouse. Like what, who created that one? The beauty of the show was what are these old people doing? So I didn't like that. (laughs) And when it really came into focus was after drag night and the intimation that the scratches on her back were caused by a black man. So, so, so now that I know that you're in a space to make television I don't like that because these are real people that have to go back to their real lives. What was interesting about that moment too, to talk about sort of like being super in the meta, when me and my husband were watching that episode, we both got anxious in that moment because, yeah, yeah, stress. Because you think you're about to see what usually happens or may have happened on the past on a show, even like the real world, where it becomes this narrative that casts Tokyo, the black man out but through you and Tokyo communicating like directly with the audience, it felt like uh, communicating yeah. directly with Julie, calling it out in the moment. And then also having in the edit, <laughs> them showing repeatedly that moment where Julie falls and, and scrapes her shoulder. It felt like production was very, was actually aware of what, of the dynamics of what was going on. And there's still so many reality shows in this day and age that may have allowed a narrative like Julie's become the prevailing narrative of the show or left it ambiguous. It was so, I don't know. It it just felt different watching that play out when we could actually see her get called out in real time by you and Tokyo and to have Julie not get away with it. What was that like, like experiencing that? It was a heightened anxiety as you felt, as, as the viewing audience felt. I was in it and my whole thing was, okay, I understand that she has admitted to not being comfortable with the boredom aspect of this show. So mm-hmm. I could see how that for her was the way to go. But I also was seeing, it, it was a twofold decision I was believing it to be for her. I think that there was a level of, oh, I'm embarrassed that I got this drunk on national television. So let me flip Mm. the script and try to take the focus over here. But see, when you flip the script and took the focus to non-gratitude and instead of a a weird passive accusation, see, Mm. now that's where you had me messed up. And Mm. it felt to me like, now I got to jump in. Now I have to make the thing real Mm. by talking Mm. about it in real time and then hope for the best. Because when you break the fourth wall on shows like this, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to use that information the way that you intended it to be used or it's not going to be used at all. So I was just very stressed out. And when when Toki and I had a conversation outside on the, the bench about it, when he said he wanted to call the house meeting, that conversation was more about, oh, well, I'm leaving. <laughs> I was like, this is not the narrative that I want to be a part of. If I call attention right. to it, now I'm in it. 
If I don't call attention to it, I allowed it to happen. I can't win here. (laughs) So there was a lot to it. Watching it back, I was blown away at home myself because I was like, whoa, they showed it. Yeah. Wow. It was weird because I was in a super protective space of him as a person that had to go back out into the world at the same time that I knew any way this plays out, it's Melissa the race baiter again. But you know what? I was so thankful that you were there in that space because of what we learned about Tokyo and his experience and like all the things that he had mm-hmm. went through and kind of come out of the other side. Like he was somebody who I really struggled to feel like I understood in watching during the original run of the show. So to come back and, you know, th- there's still some ambiguity there. It's clearly there's some tension for him about how much he gives in that context. But mm-hmm. I absolutely did not want to feel like he was going back out into a world that was going to re-traumatize him in the exact way that he had been before, in my opinion, over some kind of, you know, bullshit for, like, for TV ratings, for one episode. And so it was just, it was powerful. And I think, like, it almost felt like, I think, a bit of the camaraderie that maybe you even mentioned that you imagined that you you hoped Mm -hmm. to have, like, in the original run. So, you know, for what it's worth, I'm I'm really thankful that they kept it in and that you guys had that moment yeah. because it brings more attention to how people do that kind of willy-nilly on reality shows, even though <laughs> the effects on people's lives are not willy-nilly at all. Yeah, totally. Right. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, it, it, it was a scary time. You know, we're filming a yeah. TV show. We don't know how the narrative is going to be. And in regard to his continued ambiguity for the viewing audience, you know, where you still feel like you don't really know him. I think if you look at that from the aspect of this thing happened on this show where I may be accused in the final edit of Mm -hmm. causing her harm, Mm -hmm. I need to now protect myself and protect all my people in not giving any more. So he kind Mm -hmm. of, withdrew because there was no way to know how it was going to turn out. So imagine Mm. walking down the street, minding your business. Oh, Hey, are you that guy that scratched that lady? Like, and already as an introvert, he was already guarded in terms of how much he was willing to share. But then it became kind of like, let me not just, let me just not share anything because who knows what this could be, who knows what this could turn into. And that wasn't just a reaction, uh, that he had others of us were starting to feel like this is starting to feel reality TV ish. This is not what we signed up for. So I think calling a thing, a thing is important when you're in this kind of space, just because it's all you got to control your own story. When you leave here, it's all you got to control your own peace. When you leave there, I said it, I know that I said it, let's hope for the best. I think it's, it's fascinating television in the sense that, the participants are aware, yeah. almost too aware of what this could mean in real time if you, the makers of the show, are not careful with the content. So yeah. uh, honestly, I think it's, it's again, props to real world. It's kind of groundbreaking. You don't see that. You've now done this twice. Did your time in this iteration, does it change any of how you look back on the original time you spent in the real house? I think the second time was just so much more powerful only because, you know, I, I have a skill set. I have a, a whole 20 years of life experience now to know what I'm doing. 
and feel safe in that. So I have much less insecurity. I was a very insecure as for, for, for as, you know, outspoken as I was, I was a very insecure person who was still figuring out her own identity. Now I have it. I'm full and, you know, I'm 10 tones down with it. Uh, (laughs) um, so I'm not worried about perception in that way anymore where I was before. So for the first time around, I, there was a lot of like tragic mulatto and Mm. I'm not black enough. I'm not white enough. That was what the perception was that that was how I was received in the world. And I didn't like that. Cause I was like, really, what was tragic about it? I was just saying the thing. <laughs> and now it's just like anybody who has that to say about me. It's like, well, you don't know me. Yeah. That's fine. You can feel that way. And that took, that takes years to develop yeah. a thick skin that way. Mm. But I am so thankful for the way that it went down the first time and, and how it required me to step back mm. and, really analyze why I would make that choice. Like, who do you think you are, 22-year-old Melissa Howell, <laughs> that you think you should have been on TV? Not a single dental plan in place, all kind of credit card debt, and you really thought you was going to go and be famous. So, like, it humbled me in many ways. I'm so thankful for the experience, but even more thankful for the second. I mean, lightning don't strike twice like this. Like I was really minding my business and they called me and were like, Hmm. you want to come get this money? And I was like, hold on a second. (laughs) Don't tell me with a good time. I love a check. (laughs) Yeah, I do. And I I love a check that got way more decimals in it. Like, okay, Mm. that's different. Cause you know, the first time around the check was raggedy. I'm gonna be real. They were dealing in exposure, you know, like that's that. Oh, come do this. We'll give you a little money, but you get exposure. You know? The funny part is back then what they paid us, that was a lot of money mm. to a 22 year old. Mm. $5,000. What do you mean? $5,000 and I get to be famous. Okay. <laughs> wow. What a dummy. Wait, $5,000 per episode or $5,000 for the entirety of the run? Brittany. No. Five thousand US dollars pre-tax for the entire thing in perpetuity forever. Wow. I didn't realize it was that I thought wow. I have I didn't take a breath actually. <laughs> I was too stunned to breathe. Yes. That is deep. I probably wow. you know, I probably that five thousand dollars was a lot. I mean, five, yeah, five thousand dollars was a lot. Five thousand dollars. <laughs> but that's interesting. I mean, because I mean you all lived in the house for what, four months? Six. Right. Six. The season, it was longer that's right. back then. Yeah. Melissa, you now have gone through the real world ringer two times. And now, you know, having your family and also your blogging and your art and coming back to TV, it's been a whole journey. And also like your specific journey almost feels like it isn't replicable now. How do you feel about being a part of such a foundational piece of pop culture and also just such a foundational piece of reality programming. Wow. Well, thank you. First, I received your compliments. Thank you. That's, that's so lovely. It's true. (laughs) It's true. I think that when I finally started to get it, I was able to kind of navigate and move in a world where I wasn't like, I didn't have that weird embarrassment about being on a reality TV show because, you know, these days, Hmm the direction that reality TV went, like you're not supposed to feel great that you did it. Mm. You know, like you, yeah. you, unless you parlayed in such a way where now NeNe Leakes and Kim Kardashian and you're making real money and it's a thing and it's a it's a bona fide job. 
if you're just on there mm-hmm. and you're the guy that got calf implants on MTV True Life, like you're not supposed to feel great about that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think once I figured out that I belong to people in a way where they have a fond memory of Melissa from the railroad from year 2000 and now they've revisited me and they're like, oh my gosh, she came out okay, good for her. Um, that's great. That's really, I'm so happy for that. And you're right, it can't be duplicated because it required so much time away. Yeah, It required that I be quiet and get okay with being forgotten, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think you can't be fondly remembered unless you're forgotten for a little while. And I'm so happy and thankful for this experience. But at the same time, if nothing comes after homecoming, I'm also going to be okay with that because I always had a support system and a foundation to go back to, you know, and you know me, I'm therapized down. Um, (laughs) We we big time therapy on this, on this podcast. (laughs) We don't play. Yes. Yes. So I just feel like it has been such a, again, full circle this time around it's been such warm fuzzies and it just feels so good. Like I did it. I completed it. I'm so happy to have even been given the opportunity to do it. You know, I got my little check and I feel great. <laughs> That's great. I hope, honestly, I hope it lasts. Thank you so much for joining us. Honestly, like we Thank were so curious to ask you questions, but also just like personally, it's, been, it's just been such a great kind of experience. Thank you so much for joining us and being so vulnerable. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Brittany. For Colored Nerds was created by me, Eric Eddings, and Brittany Luce. It's supported by our production team at Stitcher, including producer Alexis Williams, story editor Gianna Palmer, social producer Elise Ellis, and engineer Jared O'Connell. Our theme music is by Willie Green. And look, y'all, we love hearing from you because we love you so much, our listeners. So please connect with us and tell us what you thought of this episode. You can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at For Colored Nerds, and you will never miss an episode by following us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen. We don't mind. Just listen to us somewhere. Meet the next generation of podcast stars with Sirius XM's Listen Next program, presented by State Farm. As part of their mission to help voices be heard, State Farm teamed up with Sirius XM to uplift diverse and emerging creators. Tune in to Stars and Stars with Isa as host Isa Nakazawa dives into birth charts of her celeb guests. This is just the start of a new wave of podcasting. Visit statefarm.com to find out how we can help prepare for your future. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.